Section 26 of Twain and Howells on Each Other. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Mark Twain, Literary Friends and Acquaintances by William Dean Howells. Chapter 25. My visit at Stormfield came to an end with tender relucting on his part and on mine. Every morning before I dressed, I heard him sounding my name through the house for the fun of it, and I know for the fondness. And if I looked out of my door, there he was in his long nightgown, swaying up and down the corridor, and wagging his great white head like a boy that leaves his bed and comes out in the hope of frolic with someone. The last morning a soft sugar-snow had fallen and was falling, and I drove through it down to the station in the carriage which had been given him by his wife's father when they were first married, and been kept all those intervening years in honorable retirement for this final use. Its springs had not grown yielding with time, it had rather the stiffness and severity of age, but for him it must have swung low like the sweet chariot of the negro spiritual which I heard him sing with such fervor when those wonderful hymns of the slaves began to make their way northward. Go down, Daniel, was one in which I can hear his quavering tenor now. He was a lover of the things he liked, and full of a passion for them, which satisfied itself in reading them matchlessly aloud. No one could read Uncle Remus like him. His voice echoed the voices of the negro nurses who told his childhood the wonderful tales. I remember especially his rapture with Mr. Cable's old Creole days, and the thrilling force with which he gave the forbidding of the leper's brother when the city's survey ran the course of an avenue through the cottage where the leper lived in hiding. Strit must not pass. Out of a nature rich and fertile beyond any I have known, the material given him by the mystery that makes a man, and then leaves him to make himself over, he wrought a character of high nobility upon a foundation of clear and solid truth. At the last day he will not have to confess anything, for all his life was the free knowledge of any one who would ask him of it. The searcher of hearts will not bring him to shame at that day, for he did not try to hide any of the things for which he was often so bitterly sorry. He knew where the responsibility lay and he took a man's share of it bravely. But not the less fearlessly he left the rest of the answer to the God who had imagined men. It is in vain that I try to give a notion of the intensity with which he pierced to the heart of life, and the breadth of vision with which he compassed the whole world, and tried for the reason of things, and then left trying. We had other meetings, insignificantly sad and brief, but the last time I saw him alive was made memorable to me by the kind, clear, judicial sense with which he explained and justified the labor unions as the sole present help of the weak against the strong. Next I saw him dead, lying in his coffin amid those flowers with which we garland our despair in that pitiless hour. After the voice of his old friend Twitchell had been lifted in the prayer which it wailed through in broken-hearted supplication, I looked a moment at the face I knew so well, and it was patient with the patience I had so often seen in it, something of a puzzle, a great silent dignity, an assent 
to what must be from the depths of a nature whose tragical seriousness broke in the laughter which the unwise took for the whole of him emerson longfellow lowell holmes i knew them all and all the rest of our sages poets seers critics humorists they were like one another and like other literary men but clemens was soul incomparable the lincoln of our literature end of chapter twenty five and end of my mark twain literary friends and acquaintances by william dean howells read by john greenman